I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 37 this morning. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 849, page 849 there in the pew Bible. As you make your way there, let's pray, then I'll read our passage. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to stand before you, redeemed, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we can stand in your presence, not because of anything we've done, but only because of who Jesus is and what he's done. That when you look upon us, you see his righteousness, not our own. Lord, it's like we've put on a, a jacket, a coat. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And Lord, as you look on us, you see him. Thank you. Thank you for Christ who makes it possible. Help us now as we come to your word that you would use it to make us more like Jesus. And in doing so, Lord, we live out the gospel. We are settled in peace and joy and hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Three verses this morning that we're going to look at, verses 35, 36, and 37 here. And this really is a riddle. I don't know about you, but uh, I enjoy a good riddle from time to time. Uh, we have a girl in Awana who has a joke slash riddle book that she keeps in her Awana bag that she always hands me the past few weeks before Awana starts. Of course, it was made like in 1960, and so... No offense to anybody born in 1960, but the jokes are a little dated, you could say. <laughs> One of the jokes is, uh, or riddle is, what is the frying pan's favorite song? Home on the Range. And I said that, and a lot of the kids are like, what's a range, right? <laughs> a few more riddles. The more you take, the more you leave behind. What am I? Footsteps. Oh, you're getting it there. One more here. I'm not alive, but I grow. I don't have lungs, but I breathe. I don't have a mouth, but I consume. And water is my enemy. What am I? Fire. Heard somebody say that. I'm not alive, but I grow. I don't have lungs, but I breathe. I don't have a mouth, but I consume. And water is my enemy. Fire. Riddles are fun. They make you think, and you look or hear the question, and you think, okay, here are very simple terms, but they're applying in a different way, and it's almost like a trick. How, how is the meaning hidden, or how does the statement reveal the truth? It's a truth hidden in this statement. As we come to verses 35 through 37, Jesus, in a sense, asks the crowds a riddle. He gives them information, and then he asks a question. And his purpose in asking this question is to reveal several things. 
It's to point to the fact that he is truly wise, that he is all-knowing, and that he is something wholly different than what they were expecting. In this account of Mark's gospel, Jesus asks this question, one that's a riddle, and this is it. How can the son of David be David's Lord? That's the riddle. How can the son of David be David's Lord? And he pulls this from Psalm 110, which we already read together this morning, and we'll uh, reference it again here in a little bit. But Jesus makes this claim. And he asks the scribes, the experts in the law, this question, how can the son of David, David's descendant, also be David's Lord and Master? As we get to this riddle and ask this question, we need to remind ourselves where, where we are at. This is very important as we look at this, these few verses in light of everything else around it, right? We look at the, the context. Mark chapter 11 and Mark chapter 12 focuses on Jesus' interaction in the temple. This is the last week of his life before the crucifixion. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And he entered riding on a what? On a donkey. And what was the crowd chanting or yelling, proclaiming about Jesus? Hosanna, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are welcoming him as a king. They threw down their, their cloaks, and they threw down different branches and palm branches to honor him as a king. And as they were making their way in, there was a man who was blind, blind Bartimaeus. And he cried out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's important. Because what Jesus has been demonstrating through the acceptance of the welcome into Jerusalem as a king and the fact that as Bartimaeus called out, son of David, he didn't correct him. Jesus has been receiving this adulation as the coming king. Because he is. He is the coming king. He is the suffering servant king, as Mark describes him in Mark 10. Jesus has been demonstrating that he is the son of David who's coming to uh, inherit the throne of his father, David. But now comes the question here from Psalm 110. Jesus is the son of David, but he's also the son of God. How does that fit together? And that's our big idea. That Jesus, as the son of God and son of David, declares his identity as the suffering servant king who fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. That's a mouthful right there. <laughs> Jesus, as the Son of God, is divine, but also as the Son of David, is humanity. Jesus declares his identity as the suffering servant king who fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. That's important. Because Jesus here, in this interaction is saying to the scribes, Psalm 110, it's all about me. So let's look here. As Jesus asks the question, as he explains a little bit, and then as we are left to decide what the answer is to this riddle. So we're going to look at the riddle, the answer, and then the implications for us. So first off, let's look here at the riddle. Verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, 
So Jesus is still in the temple, and he's really in the temple the entire week leading up to his arrest and trial and crucifixion. Well, why? Well, the temple was really the hub of the, the culture of, the, of the, the Jews, right? This is where all the important people went, the religious leaders. This is where news was spread and disseminated among the people. So Jesus is in the temple, and he was more than likely teaching hour after hour. And we don't know exactly what day this is. It's in Mark's gospel. It's just the next thing that happens. But Jesus is teaching in the temple. And he said this. So you can imagine he's talking to a crowd. More than likely, there's Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and experts and all these people listening to him. And he asked this question. How can the scribes, remember the scribes are the experts in the law, in the Old Testament. How can these experts in the Old Testament say that the Christ is the son of David? So this is the first question that he asks. How can the scribes, these experts in the law, say that the Christ is the son of David? Now we need to remember a few things here. That term Christ is a title. It means Messiah or anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? We put Jesus Christ together so much so that it's like, you know, hello, I'm Mr. Christ, Jesus Christ. No, it's not that way. His mother Mary is not Mary Christ. It wasn't Joseph Christ. Christ is a title. We could probably be more accurate and say Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one. The scribes taught that this coming Messiah was going to be the deliverer of the nation. So the scribes were teaching that the Messiah, and they had no idea necessarily of exactly who it might be. There was a description of him somewhat in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, in the other prophets, in Psalm 110, which we'll get to here in a moment. But the Messiah was this person that they were waiting for, and they Remember, they weren't sure if it was Jesus or not. In fact, they worked really hard to prove that it wasn't Jesus. But Jesus posits that the scribes say that the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, is the son of David. So that term son of David, what does that refer to? Well, it's literally, obviously, as it's translated, the son of David. But we understand it doesn't mean it's David's literal son from one generation to the next but it's a descendant, many generations from David. David lived around 1000 BC, that time frame. And David was promised that one of his descendants will sit on his throne forever. We read that in 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant that a descendant of David will sit on an eternal throne forever. And it was understood that this individual would be the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is going to come and to sit on that throne and in sitting on that throne, rule and reign forever. So in the minds of the scribes, the Messiah was going to be a human in the line of David who is going to carry great political and military might and power. Because it's what a king does, right? They rule and reign. And this is what they were looking for. They were longing for the son of David. He was going to be a man, a descendant of David down the line. But then Jesus asked this question. 
verse 36. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So a few things here as we look at this quote. Jesus says, the scribes say, that the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David, a human. But then Jesus asks this question about Psalm 110. And he says this, David himself. So we understand the author of Psalm 110 is David. We see that in the, in the subscription there at the, the, the top of the psalm. It's understood uh, that David was the author of it. And so David is writing from his point of view. And he says this, the Lord said to my Lord. So David says this, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, says to David's Lord, David's master. In the Hebrew, there's a little nuanced difference. So the first Lord uh, is all caps, which is Yahweh or Jehovah. And the second use of Lord is not all caps. It's a different word. It's Adonai. It means master uh, or Lord in a, in a ruling or reigning sense. So God, Jehovah, Yahweh, says to David's master, sit at my right hand. Sitting at the right hand is a position of honor and authority, right? You've heard of your right hand man. Where did that phrase come from? It's the right hand, the person seated at the right hand of the king was the one who basically was next, uh, uh, right next to the king who had power and authority. It was a position of honor. So God says to David's master or Lord, sit at my right hand. It's, a, it's reserved for a place of honor. What did James and John want, right? The sons of thunder? They wanted to sit at Jesus' right and left hand. They wanted the positions of honor and authority. But here David says that God is putting David's master at his right hand and he's going to put all enemies under his feet. Like a footstool. It's a picture to describe his overarching conquering power. Um, I have three children, six, four, and two almost going to be seven, five, and three, and they're getting to the age where they really like to wrestle. And the other day, uh, Nora was, well, picking on Eden, and Eden was laying on the ground, and what did Nora do? She stood on her, right? It's that picture of, I have victory over you as a three-year-old. <laughs> I'm standing on you. You're under my feet. I have control over what you do, right? Until mom and dad come to rescue big sister from little sister, <laughs> The idea that God's putting the enemies under this uh, person's feet demonstrates victory. It demonstrates authority and control. Verse 37, David calls him, David calls himself, or David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? So this is the riddle. This is the question. Jesus is asking this question of the religious experts, those who know the law so well, who think that the Messiah is going to be a human descendant of David. He says, wait a minute, but how can David call this one his Lord, who's going to sit on the throne? How can David, and how can, how can David's descendant also be David's Lord and master? That's the question. Because even though 
a descendant of David might sit on the throne, in a sense, he is still under David. David is still greater than he is because it's, it's his house, his line. It starts with him. So how can this descendant of David be greater than David? How is he his son, but also his Lord? This is the question. How can David's son or David's descendant also be his Lord? We don't read of any answer given by Jesus. We don't have any explanation. The other two gospel accounts that have this don't give any explanation either. It's this riddle. How can David's descendant also be David's Lord? And the great crowd, the great throng heard him gladly. They were amazed again at his teaching. Another thing here just to mention quick. Verse 36, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. Through Jesus' comments, Pastor James talked about this uh, a Sunday night or two ago, of Jesus' view of the Old Testament. Here, Jesus clearly communicates that David, as he wrote Psalm 110, did it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. David, in the Spirit, said this. So Jesus here is, just by him quoting the Old Testament, gives validity and authority to the Old Testament, to the Psalms, to this Psalm specifically. David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. David calls himself, himself calls him Lord. So how can David's son or descendant also be his Lord? You might hear that question. You're like, okay, that's kind of confusing. I don't quite get it. Why is this important? What Jesus is doing is building his argument here for himself being the son of David, but also the fact that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is David's earthly human descendants. descendants. That's what Matthew does at the beginning of his gospel, right? He starts at Abraham, and then he goes to David. Then he goes from David down to Joseph and to Mary, then to Jesus. Matthew is demonstrating the human heritage, the human lineage of Jesus. Jesus is truly human. He is truly man. He has a, a lineage from Abraham to David down to himself. And there's a lot of cool people in that lineage of, of Abraham to David, then David to Jesus. Some people you wouldn't expect. Rahab's in there. Ruth's in there. People who messed up royally, yet God was faithful uh, through those people. Jesus is clearly the son of David. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the one who's going to come and sit on David's throne forever. But Jesus is also David's Lord. He's also the son of God. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is teaching by way of this question the identity of the Messiah as the son of David, but it's going to be different than what they humanly expect. The religious leaders are looking for somebody to come and overthrow Rome. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus does a miracle, and then what does he tell the people? Shh, don't tell anybody. And a couple times it says, for they wanted to make him king. And Jesus says, no, it's more than that. Jesus is the Messiah, but he's, he's more than just a human earthly ruler. The Messiah will be more than that. By using the term son of David in this account, 
by Jesus' acceptance of it by Bartimaeus and the crowds, he is identifying himself as the son of David, the promised one who was set on David's throne. But what's expected by the people is that the Messiah is actually, uh, or contrary to what the people expect, the Messiah is more than just a man. He's also David's Lord. He's God. He's God. He's the Son of Man who's come to seek and save the lost. And remember that term, Son of Man. All these terms have meaning. So this one is found in Daniel 7, verse 13. And listen to it as I read it here and think back to Psalm 110. What kind of themes overlap? So this is Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel has this vision. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall be one that shall not be destroyed. So that sounds a lot like Psalm 110. That sounds a lot like Philippians 2. When Jesus is given a name that is above every name, then every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That sounds a lot like Psalm 110, Philippians 2, and what Jesus has been talking about. And claiming the title Son of Man, Son of David, and Son of God, Jesus is rounding out his identity as the Messiah. He's more than a political leader. He's more than a descendant of David. But he has authority given to him by God because he is God. But he's not a God who's just come to rule and reign. He's a God who's come to serve and to suffer. And this is the riddle that Jesus is presenting. How can the God of the universe condescend to humanity? When we think of it, we think, well, yeah, Jesus is truly God and truly man. We get that. But in the first century, when the idea and identity of the Messiah was just a human ruler sent by God, not being God, that would blow their minds. What Jesus is doing is demonstrating that he is fully man and he is fully God. And he is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, who has come to seek and save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many the religious leaders, the people of the first century, they wanted a Messiah to come to rule and reign, to overthrow Rome, and to set them free. And Jesus says, no, 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 I've come to set you free from much more than just Rome. I've come to set you free from your sin. From the sin that truly is your greatest enemy. What is our greatest need? It's not political freedom. It's not even food or drink. Our greatest need is to have a restored and right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And do you know what God does for us? He meets that need in Jesus. Through the Son of God and the Son of David, one person, here he is. He is much more than just a political leader, but he is actually David's Lord. He is Jesus. How can the God of the universe condescend to humanity? How does the divine and human dwell together in a person who will deliver his people and redeem the lost? 
The answer is Jesus, the God-man, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of these Old Testament predictions, these prophecies pointing to the Messiah, to the the one who's going to come as the Son of Man, the Anointed One, the Christ. And Jesus is different. If you want to flip to Psalm 110, this is a messianic psalm. It's talking about the Messiah, as we've mentioned. Jesus quotes verse 1, but there's much more to this psalm than just verse 1. Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament, which is interesting. It's quoted more times than any other Old Testament passage. Psalm 110 is. So we're familiar with verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So that's the declaration. And now we see this played out. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. This idea here of authority and people are coming to worship Jesus. And look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. What does the Lord say? He says the sit at my right hand in verse 1, but he also says this in verse 4 because it's in quotes here. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So not only is Jesus a king, he's also a priest. And why is a priest important? Because a priest is somebody who intercedes on behalf of another before God. Jesus is a priest not like Aaron, and the Levitical priests, but he's a priest like what? Melchizedek, that crazy guy who just shows up in Genesis and then, boom, is gone. (laughs) Until he shows up here in Psalm 110. And then again in Hebrews. Jesus is the son of man. He is the son of David. But he's also a priest. He's all these things all put together as the Messiah. Verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. It's the idea here of ultimate victory, of putting all other nations and rulers under his authority. Jesus is David's Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father, Father. The Father has given him rule and reign and authority. And not only that, but he's also a priest. He can intercede before the Father on our behalf. This is who Jesus is. He is the prophet from Deuteronomy, the one that Moses said to look for. He is a priest, according to Melchizedek, one who is a perfect priest, who is the ultimate sacrifice, and he is king as the son of God of David. All these things come together in Jesus. The Old Testament, sometimes we read it and it's this collection of stories and poetry and what is it all pointing to? How does it all fit together? Well, it starts in creation and God making everything and saw that it was good and created Adam and Eve. Then sin enters the world and from sin comes death and separation from God and judgment, but also promise. Everything starts uh, going south at that moment, you could say, right? Things are splintering. It's broken. 
And we see this breakdown again and again. But yet, from that moment, we see God putting things in place, promises and people and a nation to draw people back to himself. He has the kings, David, Saul, and Solomon. He has the priests and the sacrifices that they offer. And he sends his prophets to proclaim his message to nations and to the nation of Israel. You see all these different identities and different people doing different things, but they're all, in a sense, working together, pointing to the same fact that hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You should worship him, but you can't because of your sin. Therefore, you need to go through sacrifices. You need to hear the, the word of God. You need to submit yourself to God's authority, all these things. And all of a sudden, the priests and the king and the prophets come together in one, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, great David's greater, greater son. He is the son of God and the son of David, the son of man, the Messiah, fully God, fully man, two natures, one person, always together, never mingled, without sin. Amazing. So what does this mean for us? The answer, how can David's son also be David's Lord? Well, David's son is God. <laughs> he is the son of God as well as David's son. So what are the implications for us? First off, already kind of walked through it a little bit here. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is pointing it's crying out saying, we need a redeemer. We need someone to come and fix this mess. Think of the book of Judges, right? What was the refrain again and again? Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And then God sent a judge and the people got right and it was good. But then what happened? They fell again to sin, again and again. No judge was perfect. No judge was enough. Even the sacrifices again and again you had to offer sacrifices. There was never a final sacrifice. You always had to keep sacrificing to, to make yourself clean, to come into the presence of God again and again. But now we see this in Jesus, fully fulfilled and complete. No more sacrifices because the final sacrifice has been made. No more judges are needed because the perfect judge, the one who is just and justifier, has come. I love 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Paul's writing and he's, he's encouraging the Corinthians and, and reminding them of their faith. And he says this in verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we are utter our amen to God for his glory. The promises of God point to Jesus. And he is the source of all those promises. He's the fulfillment. And Jesus is, uh, he's, uh, he's pointing to that in these verses. Jesus is the fulfillment, fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament. Secondly, he is the perfect Savior. The Messiah is more than just a human descendant of David. He is God, without sin, the perfect Lamb of God. But he's also fully man, the who was born of the virgin, of David's line, who will sit on David's throne for eternity. Truly God, truly man, two natures in one being forever, united gloriously for eternity to receive honor and glory and worship. 
Jesus is fully God. He is fully man. And that's important to remember. Because he had to be fully God because, or excuse me, fully man, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Here was a man dying for mankind. But he's God because he, he is, he's without sin. He's, he's perfect. He is the perfect Savior. And thirdly, Jesus is the answer provided by God. God does not work according to the will or desire or expectation of man. He does not work how we think he should work. His ways are not our ways. So as we read this riddle here, this few verses that often get passed over, we think, what is what's Jesus doing here? I don't know. Let's move on to the next thing. Jesus is demonstrating that the Messiah, the son of David, is also David's Lord. He is the answer provided by God to the need of the human hearts, to the need of all of creation, as creation is all groaning together. He is the one that we should look to. God doesn't say, you figure it out, or here's this, you do your best. No, he says, here's my very own son given for you. Believe in him. Find forgiveness in him. Put your faith and trust in him and let him work in you and through you as I am working all things according to my plan. Those who heard Jesus in the temple were probably thinking, what is he talking about? David's Lord and David's son, the Messiah. Because they had no comprehension that the son of David would also be the son of God. And here Jesus demonstrates through Psalm 110, through his quote and his question, that the Messiah is much more than just a human figure. But the Messiah is the very son of God himself. And so for us, may we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises, that he is the perfect Savior, and he is the answer provided by God. So the question then today is less of how is David's son, David's Lord, but more of what are you going to do with David's son, who is David's Lord? Have you recognized him as your Savior? Has you confessed your own sin and repented and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? He is the answer. He is the fulfillment. He is great David's greater son, the one who is the yes and amen to all the promises of God. So my prayer is, is that if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of your salvation. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, sometimes it's just good for us to stop and to marvel and to think who Jesus is, to think what he's accomplished, and to think what he's going to do in the future. To stop and to think and in your mind say, behold, <laughs> great David's greater son. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to look at this passage that might be a little confusing and not sure, Lord, quite how it applies. But as we look at this and as we see who Jesus is, the identity of the Savior is clear. He is truly God, truly man. And he is our Savior. I pray for those who do not know Christ as their Savior, that they would confess and repent, that they would cry out, they would believe, and they would trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
Lord, I pray that your spirit and your word would work on them and in them. For those of us who do know Christ, may we marvel at the fact that he is the God-man. One who is perfect. One who's been tempted yet without sin. The one who is at your right hand who bids us to come and to worship. Lord, that we can be united with him. Lord, we love you. We give you praise for all these wonderful truths. In your son's name, amen.